My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody. You're listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast, where we take you on a journey through Southern Appalachian history, one story at a time. I'm your host, Cami Ahrens, and this week, as promised, we are listening to some historic audio clips straight from our archive on the practice of weaving in Southern Appalachia. So there were quite a few weavers here in the mountains at the time that the students were going out and interviewing people, especially in the 1970s. So today we're going to feature clips from Marinda Brown, who is extremely well known for her weaving, as well as Edith Darnell, Lula Norton, and Granny Lyndall Toothman, who's a little bit of an anomaly, and I'll talk about her in just a minute. But Marinda Brown especially was a member of the Betty's Creek Weavers. Um, which was a group of recognized weavers here in the Betty Creek community, which is part of Rabin County. It's near Dillard, Georgia. So it's a very small, close-knit community. And um, Miranda actually learned to weave as an adult from her mother-in-law. So she didn't weave as a child, as would have traditionally been done probably in the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, But at the time that Miranda learned to weave, it coincided with this larger movement um, known as the arts and crafts movement. So kind of national attention turning towards some of our folk skills, especially those here in Appalachia. Um, But weaving was always really important in the mountains and certainly in many rural communities where goods wouldn't have been um, readily accessible. So people had to clothe themselves and to do that they had to harvest their own wool or flax and then process it into yarn and then thread their looms and from that make their clothing and this was a process that the entire family would have been involved in so we know that little kids around age four would probably start helping to card the wool which is where you brush out the fibers Um, around age six they'd probably start spinning again both boys and girls And then usually around age 10, girls would start weaving and maybe the boys would go out and um, start doing heavy labor with their fathers. Um, But there are accounts of men knitting and and assisting their wives in these crafts as well. As manufactured goods became more readily available um, in these areas, weaving and other handicrafts started to decline. But again, in the first half of the 20th century, we start to see the craft revival or the arts and craft movement really turn its attention back to these handicrafts. And actually, during the Great Depression, the WPA started um, schools where people in rural areas could come and learn some of these crafts. And that's actually how Granny Toothman, Lyndall Toothman, learned how to weave. She went to one of these WPA schools um, that had looms, and she started weaving there and then kind of carried the craft with her throughout her life. So Miranda, Edith, Lula, and Granny Toothman are all just singular examples of different ways that many women in the mountains utilize and practice the craft of weaving. So I hope this gives you a little bit more information to complement our earlier episode this month. And um, if you want to learn more about these crafts, you can seek them out in the Foxfire books. And if you head to our website, we'll make sure to link all of that. So first up, we have Miranda Brown, again, who I said was from the Betty's Creek area talking about weaving. I think I bought my loom 
around 56, between 56 and 59 anyway. And I have really woven since I bought mine, but uh, I hadn't done too much previously. I had, uh, you know, just kind of get understood by degrees in it. Who taught you to weave with your mother? Well, I guess I just picked it up. Uh, no, uh, I guess Harry's mother, uh, uh, Mother Brown, I guess, uh, she showed me how, you know, and I, and I helped her thread up the loom. Uh, she did some work. Uh, she made some coverlets for all of her children, I think about, uh, I think she did about six coverlets for her children, and I can't recall just when she did that work, but it, it was after we married, I'm pretty sure. But, and I, I went with her down to uh, Mrs. Zach Dillard's, that's uh, Barnard Dillard's parents. Um, she had a, a warping frame, you know what I'm talking about, what I, what I warped my own, and it covered, oh, it was a great big thing. It covered, she had it, kept it outside, and it went just about all the way across the house. And I just don't remember to save my life how we managed to do that, but I think Mother Brown put on about a hundred yards of work, and I helped her carry that thread back and forth. It seemed like we walked miles and miles in getting it on. But you know, that that's the way that uh, older people back then, uh, well, in a long, long time back, uh, warped their thread on those great big warping frames that they kept outside. And they put she went a hundred yards? And it was fine thread, too. Mm -hmm. But it was strong. They sized their thread somehow. I don't know. Uh, I think she bought her thread uh, ready to use. You know, it was sized and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was fine thread, but yet it was a lot stronger than the thread we get hold of today to do fine weaving with. Mm -hmm. And I, it has made me wonder in working with the fine threads that I do how they ever managed to get it on. That is the hardest part of it. But I do remember uh, helping her thread up the loom long, sometime after she uh, made these coverlets, uh, she brought her loom here and put it on our porch. We had a porch that went all the way around the house. And um, she said, let me set the loom up on the porch, and then she did some weaving on the porch, but I don't remember exactly what she did. And then she let me keep the loom, you know, and weave um, rugs, and I made quite a few rugs of, you know, just worn clothing that I worked yeah. up the strings myself. And I guess that is uh, where I got my start. Now that was, uh, let's see, that must have been in the 40s. No, it was before then. That, I'll say that was in the 30s. I think she, I think she died in 39, so it, it was before then. And the loom was, uh, she gave, me, gave us the loom, but she had parts of that loom borrowed from people all over the community. And when she died, uh, we returned those parts and one anything left. <laughs> And uh, oh, okay. we took the loom down and set it out, and of course it just went to the bed. For a long, long time, I didn't do anything but rugs. 
because it was uh, horse thread, I mean heavier thread, you know, and it didn't break as bad as the fine thread. And it took me quite a long time to learn how to thread it up, you know, and change my uh, different pattern drafts. And then finally, uh, they had a book over at the craft shop that I borrowed, and it, it's one that uh, I finally bought myself, one like it, you know. And from that, I just went to work and learned to do a lot of different patterns. But for a long time, uh, I just practiced. I didn't make anything, you know, that was that I thought was worth selling, but I did sell as many things, you know, just odds and ends of things that I came, came along with. And that kind of gave me encouragement because a bit of branch out and do yeah. just a little more and a little more. Had a desire, I know, see if, you see a piece of music and you want to sit down and try it out and see what it's like. Well, I'm that way with my weaving. If I see a, a pattern draft, you know, I want to sit down and try it out. Have you ever done it when, you, say, like you were mad or something and and to, to let your anger out, your weave? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know whether you'd say when I was mad or not, but when, it, when I was disturbed. Now, last week, um, I didn't feel too good, and I was tired, but I was doing something that I wanted to get done, and I kept right at it when I didn't, really didn't feel like it, you know, and my mind wouldn't stay on it, and I'd have to go back, you know, and take out. I'd put in some that didn't do right, and I'd have to go back and take out. And then I noticed um, your feelings has something to do with it in the way you beat, make your beater, you know. Sometimes you give it a harder jerk than you do other times and it makes your weaving a little close together and it shows uh, it shows on you. It'll tell on yeah. you all the way through. Here is Edith Darnell talking about her experience weaving. Well, I had, I, I knew how long you've been weaving and, every, and how you started learning and started the J. Handage Art Foundation. Yes. Well, could you tell me, was it hard when you started with the Art Foundation or, you know, you told me they just didn't have somebody to weave? It wasn't hard. It wasn't? I didn't think I could, but on a double loom, I had to take one side of another girl and keep up with her. That's my first week. Well, I'd done pretty well. What did you weave over there? Well, she just wore wool from me. Just cloth, you know, she's selling cloth from me. But I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in the pattern, pattern weaving. <coughs> well, uh, then you got your loom here at home after yeah. you were But I went, uh, I went over to Miss Norton over in North Carolina and learned how to make the dogwood fly if you wouldn't think. Then I got my loom and put mine on. Well, what kinds of things did you like weaving the most? Well, I'd rather weave bed strips and things. I'm more interested in see how my patterns come out. Yeah. Have you tried a lot of patterns? Yeah, before our house burnt, we had, I had seven to get burned up. Oh, God. And I think that's too many cents. Well, I sold three, I guess. What was your favorite pattern that you liked to use? Well, cat paw. The cat paw? I've never seen that one before. Well, what did you find was the most difficult thing about weaving? I mean, was there anything that was hard mm -hmm. about it? No. It came it's to all the yeah. Um, Did you ever, one lady told us that um, <clears throat> she would be, you know, 
your feelings sort of come into your weaving. Like she said that one day she was kind of angry and she was throwing the, yeah. uh, the beater harder because she was angry. Have you ever done that? No. Or have you Nothing ever? Nothing about turn off to something I have to do in weaving my weaving. I, love, I just love to weave. Mm -hmm. But do you kind of weave your, if you're upset about something, do you ever weave to kind of get it out? Yeah. You just have to go to weaving. You just have to be happy weaving or I can. I don't know whether everybody can, you know, but I can or quilt. Anything off like that, I'm just as well concerned as I can be. Um, <clears throat> what did you find was the most rewarding thing to you about weaving? I mean, did it make you feel good just to, to make something or, or was it just the feeling? Or? Yeah, a pattern come out when you get down. You don't, you know, when that pattern comes out right, you feel good. Yeah. Is that the only job that you've ever had, weaving? Yeah, or I've never worked in that role. I worked for her just a little in roles, but I've never worked with her. Did you like working there? Well, I liked to work in but I didn't like to work in the wool thread all the time yeah. and no cotton. Wasn't no water, but she might. If I work in wool here, I've got a cotton more. Yeah. And I went out there and I, and we went through some of the buildings and I talked to Miss Beasley, Dean Beasley, and uh -huh. <coughs> they just weave the straight pattern. Has weaving gotten gotten easier since since you started? I mean, do you feel like you know you're more yeah. confident with this? It's easier and the loom threading too. I don't have nobody showing that thread and bring it from the matter. Do it yourself. Threads are the pattern. God. Do you do you consider that about the hardest thing threading? Yeah, the thread and loom, putting the warp on, you get that on your done. Mm-hmm. Do you dislike doing that? No, I don't, I don't mind to do it. It just takes a little longer, you know. Mm -hmm. And I like to put my watch on by myself. I know I want some across that about 50 yards on by myself. Comb it now. Oh. Hold it and roll it. Did your mother weave in? Well, she didn't weave in while, while we was at home, but she had wool before she ever married. And now we'll take a listen to Lula Norton. Zaline Richards and Barbara Lynn, and we're going to interview Mrs. Lula Norton on spinning flax nine twelve seventy four. What other things do you do in your spare time? Did I what? What other things did you do in your spare time? Oh, I was, at that time I was having this weaving industry. Oh. You know, I taught a lot of women to weave. And, well. I've done some kind of handwork all my life. Where did you have a group weaving? Oh, during the Depression, back in nineteen, uh, I would like to late thirties and then. Well, where? Up in here somewhere? Oh, right here. Right here? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yes, I had a little shop down here that we worked in, and this was the display shop at one time. Uh-huh. And uh, after I went out and decided to retire, I uh, made it into a home and sold my home over there. Oh, yeah. This feels rather like raw wool. Yeah, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's lay on there. You, you can have all this. Oh, we were just going to make pictures of this. Um, I, I was, we were going to make pictures with the loom. Well, uh, now the loom that I started weaving on belonged to some people by the name of Hedden. At that time, they were called Hedy. Way back, I guess close to 50 years ago, that I had saw an old hand-woven coverlet, and I thought it was very pretty, and I wanted one like it. 
And uh, so I started out with in search of materials and a loom to weave it on. Uh -huh. And I found this old loom up in a Nola bonded house into the, up over the head. And so I bought it from the daughter of the grandmother, I mean the granddaughter of the grandmother that used it, Mrs. Hedden. And uh, then uh, I got the wool carded and spun the thread and got the barks and... Did the whole thing? For the, for, for the whole thing. I didn't know how to weave and I found an elderly woman in the community that had woven coverlets and that she was the one that wove the coverlet that I thought was the pretty and she said she would help me. So when I got my things together before she died, between the time I was getting my materials and the loom set up and everything ready. But I, I went to work at it, and I, she had given me some drafts and told me a little bit about them. So I took that and threaded my loom, and I worked at that two weeks before I got the knack oh, of threading and making it. But uh, I got it done and uh, made several. Then I made uh, some material for suit and uh, so on. But uh, during the World War II, the beginning of World War II, my wool went off, got scarce, and I couldn't get it. So uh, all, well, all my life I'd done something with wool, knitted or crocheted, and I made sweaters and. The first money I ever earned in my life, I was about eight years old, I needed a pair of socks. Men's socks. Yeah. My mother had spun the wool, of course, and uh, sold them for 25 cents. That was good then, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's about as happy as we are now with $25. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right now, when you made uh, suits and stuff before the Second World War, yes, I did you spin your wool? Yes. I caught it and spun my wool, and... Uh, Did you buy it locally? I've I done a lot before the war, but it was during the, uh, the beginning of the war when the moor got scarce that I turned to linen and cotton and began to weave uh, uh, like and sets and towels and things. And uh, then it got... I got kind of a market bill up for it, and... Uh, one of the neighbors got kind of interested in hitting it, and I taught her to weave. And then they began to come in along and along, you know, wanting yeah. to earn a little extra money. So I finally ended up by teaching 24 and furnishing them work through the Depression. Who, uh, who did you sell to? Well, after I uh, got started on that, or even before, I joined the Southern Highlanders Handicraft Guild, and I was a member of that for about 25 years. And uh, through them, I they had several stores yeah. in those shops, and uh, I marketed quite a bit to them. And then people would hear about it, shops as far as Martha's Vineyard, and uh, places. Uh, then the, there was uh, the Churchill Weavers over in Kentucky. Yes, right. And they had a shop in the Palmer house. 
in Chicago. Uh -huh. So they found out about my linens and I shipped them a lot of linens. And, uh, uh, <coughs> well, I kept that up until the women began to go off here after the depression I, yeah. and things began to open up. I guess it was, well, I kept on with it for, there's two women stayed with me for a long, long time. In fact, Mrs. Buchanan, you have her story. She's still going on with it. Yeah, yeah. She worked with me for 27 years. My goodness. And then when I decided to retire from weaving, why she came along. Well, now let's of see. Of course, I carried all the financial responsibilities of the project, and paying the friends as they brought the weaving in. Sometimes I had to throw it in the waste basket, but I made out. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you pay each person after they made a piece, or did you pay them by the hour, or how uh, did you I do I paid it? them by the piece. Well, did you have 24 looms? Uh, yes, I did, or more than that. I had, uh, we made some, and I bought several. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know just how many... I had more than that because I kept two, three of the shops, which this weavers, the ones that wove the shop, could go from one room to the other with a different, uh, something different on it. Right. Maybe one would be weaving towels and another one runners and another one we had a baby blanket. We wore baby blankets and bridge trips and mm -hmm. all that. Uh -uh. But now I've turned that all over to my weaver and she's going on with it. And her daughter, Hilda Buchanan, I taught her how to weave too, she, and she's helping her mother now. So now, the weaving is still going on? The weaving is still going on, and uh, some of my designs are still being used. They were your original designs that you made up the drafts for? Yes, uh-huh, my original. I made all my designs. I never never took up anybody else's designs. So you didn't have, like, the wig rose pattern or the drunken well, trail? I had to, an adaption of the figure of right. and uh, I had uh, I made up several patterns from the old coverless, but uh, it was just I picked it all out myself. Right. Yeah. I never did use the honeysuckle like so many of the weavers did, mm -hmm. but I, I made up my own pattern. And finally, we have an interview from the 1980s with Granny Toothman, who stopped in at the Foxfire classroom to tell them about her adventures in weaving, spinning, and other crafts and traveling across the United States. So I hope you enjoy her interview. We are. It's March 26, 1985. Foxfire class, uh, oh, Richard, God. Kevin, and Clark. Interviewing Granny Tuffman. Tuffman. Do is start at the beginning. But here at the Foxfire, where the log cabins is, is a, a big thing. I'd like to start at the beginning. All right. Uh, I was born in May the first, 1910, in a little log cabin in the hills of West Virginia, and. Uh, uh, the, the cabin, I can remember it very vividly. We uh, moved from that cabin to another when I was seven years old. But uh, it was one room with a, a loft, uh, a, a room and a half. 
in the loft. And uh, it had the old fireplace and uh, the rope beds and the whole works. And uh, then when I was seven years old, we moved to a, a double cabin, cabin on a farm. And uh, uh, in fact, the first one was in uh, a village. At that time, in 1910, there was about uh, 10 log cabins in this little village. And uh, then we moved about uh, two miles out in the country to uh, uh, about 150 acres, one horse farm. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'd done all the things that they done in log cabins. I helped make soap, I helped dye, uh, cloth, I uh, uh, helped uh, make harmony and make life from uh, the wood ashes and, and all that kind of stuff that you've read about. But uh, uh, then we didn't. At that time, we weren't doing any weaving or spinning or anything like that in the family. I started, I, I took a weaving class, uh, depression. <coughs> they had these uh, uh, little schools for, so that people could make a little income to help their families along. In 1935, I went to a, a school of weaving that was sponsored by the federal government to uh, help the uh, uh, rural people. And uh, uh, I took to the weaving. I was uh, um, uh, from a family of craftsmen. And, and uh, then I went uh, to work for the Federal Reformatory. It was a prison, federal prison for federal uh, inmates. And uh, uh, I went as a, a correctional officer and I hadn't been there but a very short time to the warden come out and had some hand-woven things in her hand and said, look what they're doing at El Reno, Oklahoma. And I said, well, I can do that. And she said, you can. And you'll have a weaving school in the morning. They happened to have a couple looms there at the uh, institution. And the next day I had two girls and two looms. And from that, uh, I stayed there 13 years and taught weaving. And, and then I came back to West Virginia and taught weaving for the Board of Education, Adult Vocational Education. And that is where I learned to spin. I, uh, uh, we had uh, uh, done, done a lot of weaving and, and I'm, pretty good uh, on that weaving. I uh, done enough of it that uh, uh, I, my method, I have fast weavers. And they finally got kind of bored with too much weaving, so one of them said, uh, let's learn something else. And, and I had a spinning wheel, and I said, how many's got spinning wheels? And three or four did have. So I went to a mountain woman, and uh, all you can be taught to spin is the fundamentals of how to hold your material, how to take care of it, how to <coughs> adjust your spinning wheel, and then you've got to learn it by trial and error. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us this month. I hope you've enjoyed this look at weaving both in the past and present here in the Southern Appalachian Mountains. If you haven't already, definitely head to our website and take a listen to our interview with Allie Dudley, who's the resident artist at the John C. Campbell Folk School. Um, that was a really great interview. And Allie is doing a lot of work to preserve and practice historic weaving patterns. If you want to learn more about anything that you heard in today's episode, head to our website. That's www.boxfire.org. If you scroll to the bottom, you'll see a series of blog post snippets. And the one on the very left should be the most recent podcast. You'll be able to click on that and find links to anything um, related to the topics discussed in this podcast episode. And if you love Foxfire as much as we do, please consider becoming a member. We have a variety of memberships to offer you to fit different levels and different interests. We even have a digital offering that includes access to a digital archive of digitized Foxfire magazines, as well as exclusive content on our YouTube channel and um, a special newsletter that comes out every few months. Your support is invaluable and we couldn't do this without you. We are continuing to carry the torch and document everything here in Southern Appalachia. Take a listen to some of our older podcasts, share with a friend, leave us a review. All of these things help towards supporting our mission to share and preserve the history and culture of Southern Appalachia. And we'll be back in just a few weeks with another podcast for you, focusing again on craft and community. So thanks everybody and take care and we'll talk to you next time. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>